0: Hello and welcome to Dialogues in Dermatology. I'm Dr. Lauren Council, your editor in chief. We have another exciting podcast for you today. We hope that you enjoy. How can you help your patients move forward with care and you get paid in two business days? Start accepting the Care Credit credit card today. There's no cost to enroll. Call 800-300-3046 or visit carecredit.com slash AAD. Visit carecredit.com slash AAD to enroll
1: today or learn more. Hi, welcome to Dialogues in Dermatology. Thank you for joining us today. My name is Dawn Davis, and I'm a pediatric dermatologist at the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. It's my privilege to interview Dr. Amy Paller, Chair of Dermatology at Northwestern, another pediatric dermatologist colleague and friend about the pediatric psoriasis guidelines. Welcome, Dr. Powler. Thank you. Would you like
0: to tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. As you mentioned, I am the Chair of Dermatology at Northwestern and I practice pediatric dermatology at the Lurie Children's Hospital here in Chicago. I have Long had an interest in inflammatory skin disorders in children, and I'm delighted to be part of the uh, guidelines group that put together uh, all of the guidelines, including the pediatric guidelines. I've been a researcher on psoriasis in the clinical arena, as well as do
1: research on psoriasis in my lab. Fabulous. Thank you for talking to us today about the psoriasis guidelines. Do you just want to give us a brief review of the psoriasis guidelines and why they're important? It's very important every several years to update
0: our guidelines on a range of topics. That's certainly true for psoriasis because there's been so much exponential information that's become available, particularly about comorbidities and new therapies for psoriasis. Uh, We need to be having experts review the evidence-based management and what new information is available. The last guidelines were 2008 to 2011, and so it's certainly time. And from what I
1: understand, the guidelines will not be totally database, although they're going to try as best as possible to make suggestions based on data, but there are still so many things to learn in psoriasis that part of it is expert consensus. Is that correct? Absolutely, and that's why the
0: Academy of Dermatology brought together a group of experts because In uh, many areas, we don't have enough evidence, but we've got a lot of experience, and then this group of experts was able to come together and help to share their experience and their own knowledge base, uh, recognizing that it's not evidence-based.
1: And was the panel of experts purely all dermatologists, or were there other non-dermatologists on the panel to give a broader experience? Oh, there were other non-dermatologists
0: on the panel to give that broader experience from uh, both other specialty areas and also even patient representation.
1: Perfect. And are we working together with the National Psoriasis Foundation on the guidelines? Yes, we are
0: working together with the National Psoriasis Foundation in putting together the guidelines
1: this time. Fabulous. Well, I was very excited to hear that the pediatric population will have a specific manuscript in the guidelines. Can you tell our audience why it's imperative that children have um, a special shout-out for the guidelines? It's really important
0: that we have specific guidelines for management of pediatric disease and particularly pediatric psoriasis. To my knowledge, this is the first time We've had a specific guidelines certainly from the United States and Canada, for uh, children. You have to understand that when we're just pulling out guidelines from a strictly adult database, it's not necessarily relevant even to children. Children have unique physiology. The pharmacokinetics of the drugs that we use may be different in children, certainly There is a lot of weight-based prescribing for systemic therapies. We have to understand as well that the topicals, in many cases, have only been tested in adults, especially in in older topicals. And finally, there are also differences because patient-reported outcomes may be from parents and not from children or simply not available. Uh, And there are differences as well in the interactions that occur between the provider, the patient, the parent that can make a difference in how we make treatment decisions.
1: That's very helpful to know. It's imperative as time goes on for us to recognize as skin experts that psoriasis is not only skin deep and it affects people's quality of life and it's also a systemic disease. So I'd like to break that down one by one. Can you tell us a little bit about the quality of life for children who have psoriasis? The quality of life for
0: children with psoriasis is certainly not great, and the more severe you get with the psoriasis, the more of an impact in general on the quality of life. This is a highly visible disorder. It can affect areas that are easily seen by others, and that can make quite a difference at a critical time for psychosocial development because we have to remember that Most children who have this develop the disease for the first time as adolescents at that very critical period. And even in those who develop it during pre-adolescence or younger than that in childhood, it's also, again, a time when they're learning how to develop these peer relationships where they're developing their self-image and self-esteem. So a highly visible disorder that not only is visible but affects how they feel about themselves that impacts the interaction with others, that affects their ability to do sports because we know sweating, for example, or increased heat can also affect the visibility as, as well as, for example, the itch that's associated with psoriasis. All of these are factors that can very much affect quality of life. We have to also remember that with any chronic disease, there's an impact potentially on quality of life not only for the child but also for the family because there can be time-consuming, for example, application of topical medications, not to mention the potential risk of comorbidities with psoriasis that also colors that
1: quality of life. And you mentioned that, you know, it presents in places that are very embarrassing to children. Adult psoriasis tends to happen in mostly predictable places Is the physical exam for the pediatric psoriasis patient identical to that of adults?
0: It's variable. There are certainly many children who have it uh, largely in areas like elbows and knees and scalp like we think about with with adults. Um, But, for example, facial psoriasis is more common in children than in adults, a highly visible area.
1: Fantastic, and we've talked about comorbidities, but we haven't really addressed them. Uh, do you want to talk about the more common comorbidities that happen in children with psoriasis?
0: Yeah, um, the comorbidity that happened in children, actually the most common one of all is obesity. Uh, when we look particularly at those with moderate to severe disease, there is a two- to three-fold increase in obesity, uh, certainly a significant Increase in the risk of having obesity and actually across the board in psoriasis of either being overweight or obese. Uh, and it's been interesting to note that if we want to think technically, psoriasis may be a comorbidity of obesity because in the vast majority of, of those children who are overweight or obese, uh, the overweight or obese started first and then presumably their predisposition to develop psoriasis came out subsequently. Psoriatic arthritis is certainly a comorbidity that we recognize. It's much more common in adults than in children. The percentage of children affected by psoriasis varies based on a study. Uh, In some, it's as high as 10% in uh, pediatric psoriasis in populations that have moderate to severe disease. Uh, In other studies, particularly outside of the United States, uh, that may be in the range of 1% to 4%. And I think it's probably... Uh, overall closer to that range of about 4 or 5% overall in children. Again, much less often than in adults. We have at least soft evidence that um, other aspects of the metabolic syndrome that we talk about so often in adults are seen in children. Some studies, but not all, have shown an increased risk of hypertension, again, with insulin resistance. Dyslipidemia has also been shown in some studies, not others to be increased. But what was interesting in a study that came out a few years back is that we can't just look at the levels of different lipids, but we need to also look at lipid function because lipid dysfunction was found overall across the board, regardless of the severity of of the psoriasis. Uh, I think we must... Recognize that inflammatory bowel disease is also increased, particularly Crohn's disease. Uh, And then there's the uh, psychiatric associations with psoriasis. Uh, There's no question that there's an increased risk of developing anxiety, of developing depression in children who have psoriasis. And really recognizing this and uh, helping these families to intervene Uh, can be very helpful as well with management of the disease process. Now, I will say that it is our responsibility as physicians caring for these children to think about these comorbidities. Uh, Many of the screening that has to take place should be done to some extent in our offices. For example, we should be asking about limp. We should be looking uh, at joints as we're doing our physical examination. We should be looking at the patient for um, any evidence of obesity and overweight, which is visible and certainly captured if we uh, can capture an an annual height and weight when we're seeing these children. Some of these laboratory-based findings, for example, dyslipidemia or insulin resistance, really should be captured in pediatricians' offices. We can ask about that. Getting a blood pressure measurement if someone has not had one In the past year, certainly, is something we should be
1: capable of doing in our offices as well. Perfect. And, you know, when we think about all those comorbidities, it can be quite overwhelming in the dermatologist's office as you're talking, as you're speaking to, that it is a systemic disease and working with our primary care colleagues to ensure all these guidelines are addressed and the comorbidities are monitored. Are the monitoring guidelines different from what the AAP recommends regarding those chronic diseases? because the child has psoriasis, or do most of them align with the standard guidelines for those disorders?
0: Well, I think the guidelines that we've put together, um, including a, a publication fairly recently by OCR et al., is really leveraging what's done in the primary care office towards our monitoring for the development of these. So. When we see a patient, we can develop a standard phrase, for example, that goes right into the record in the letter that goes back to the pediatrician, just reminding them of the increased risk and making sure that they're doing their due diligence as recommended by the AAP in in capturing these and and, um, communicating should there be an issue. Uh, There's really very little that's not theoretically already captured by recommendations to primary care doctors, pediatricians
1: that we would have to do outside of that. Well, that's reassuring to know, and it sounds like from your suggestion that it's just as important to make the parents and the patient aware of the comorbidities so they can work with their primary care provider. Exactly. Empower the patient to empower their health.
0: <laughs> yes. Yes. And that, of course, has already these- been shown to help their health. Uh, if you empower a yes. patient... Uh, and show them how medication can be helpful. If you empower them to take better charge of their own health, uh, they will ultimately do
1: better. And I know that our audience will be chomping at the bit to read the manuscript and the guidelines when they come out, but could you just give us a brief summary of a couple of tips with regard to treatment in children?
0: So... Uh, Treatment in children has much less in terms of evidence-based information uh, than treatment in adults. And, of course, there is very little that is on the market that is on label, save for some more recent biologics. I think one of the questions that comes up is, for example, what kind of monitoring should be done with the use of systemic agents? And in the guidelines, uh, we very carefully go through our Uh, consensus-based recommendations uh, for what labs are needed, uh, for example, with with the use of methotrexate and how often they should be done. Um, We we talk about uh, having a determination of mild versus moderate to severe based on body surface area uh, as being something that's important to capture um, in our charts. Uh, And very importantly, we've thought about the biologics because they're Uh, certainly coming into practice more and more in children uh, and provide recommendations about monitoring for biologics. Ultimately, that recommendation is that, uh, of course, monitoring for tuberculosis needs to be done annually for um, the TNF inhibitors, but really it is a judgment call other than perhaps baseline by the treating doctor whether it needs to be repeated for others that are not PNF inhibitors and should really be based on the uh, individual patient and on exposures uh, and ultimately risk of developing TB. Um, Also what about labs because certainly one of the advantages of the biologics has been uh, in children not having to do those recurrent laboratory tests and indeed once again there was a recommendation that it be individualized based on the the patient risks um, and medical issues as well as uh, potential issues that may arise uh, when you see that patient. So important to capture uh, a history that would suggest whether we need to get labs. But on the whole, we don't need to be doing labs for patients with biologics. So that's
1: an advantage. It's a definite advantage, and it sounds like while science is progressing in this regard, we still have plenty of art of medicine to practice. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, Dr. Powler, it's been my privilege to chat with you today regarding psoriasis, and specifically pediatric psoriasis, and I'm very excited about the guidelines that are in publications, and I look forward to reading the specific guideline when it comes to fruition. Thank you so much for your time and expertise. My pleasure.